Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. So today, uh, I got a special picture up on my PowerPoint uh, because I heard my friend Christopher was coming this morning. So that's why Sonic the Hedgehog is up there this morning because I knew Christopher would be here. So uh, now we've, we've been doing a series, and David started about Pentecost, but we haven't gotten into the book of Acts very much yet because uh, what we're going back is through the whole story in the Bible and through the Old Testament, how God, what God's plan was uh, preparing uh, for Pentecost when after Jesus died and rose again that he would fill us with his spirit and what that is all about. And uh, we're going to kind of be going through the story and the big picture again today. Uh, so let's just start out with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for your love for us. And thank you um, that although we failed you many times and we're going to see how people have failed you and even your angels have failed you, you still love us and have drawn us back to yourself and that you redeem everything. And so this morning we ask that you speak to our hearts and lead us and empower us and fill us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start out with a little question this morning. Does the church look clean today? And, uh, well, you see, if it doesn't look clean, it's on me. Uh, The school building and the church building... It's kind of, because I'm the principal of the school, because I'm an elder, uh, whether the resp- that responsibility of being clean around here kind of ultimately falls on me, maybe a few other people too. Um, and, uh, but saying that, I try not to do most of the work cleaning both buildings. I just don't, I just don't have time for that, you know? And, uh, you know, I don't, it's not that I don't mind doing that kind of work. Uh, sometimes it's kind of fun, but uh, I think it's better that I use my gifts for other other things around here and not do all that, right? And so it's kind of ironic because I wrote the beginning of the sermon and then the the people I delegated to, usually they do a great job. And uh, this week they didn't clean this building. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's parents, sometimes students in the school, and actually the student who cleans the nursery kind of didn't do that before he left on Friday. So I was in here yesterday vacuuming and taking out trash because it falls to me. But that's, that's how delegating is, right? Like, you can't do everything, uh, and you want other people to learn. Um, what, why I bring that up is not because I'm complaining. But God likes to delegate. And as we look at the Bible, we see that God is a God who delegates authority, responsibility, and the work that he wants accomplished here on earth. And it's not, he's not like me where he doesn't have enough time and energy to get it done and he needs help. But God actually likes, enjoys delegating responsibility and actually authority to his creatures, his people, really his sons and daughters that he has made. He likes, he created the world and the universe and shares that rule with us. Um, as we explore that story of God and his creation and his plan from Genesis all the way uh, to Pentecost, uh, we see that God kind of has a, has a staff who is his family. And he's given that authority and responsibility but he just actually really deeply desires to work with us. And as we look at it, we'll see, actually it's two staffs that God has. There's a human staff, a human family on earth, 
but there's also like a spiritual, angelic, heavenly staff that he has delegated authority to as well. So thinking about children in a family, uh, you may not have your own children, but everybody's been a child in a family. Uh, It might help us to understand God's relationship with us and his desire to delegate authority and responsibility to his two his two kinds of families that he's created. Uh, I understand we like to be present with our children, and uh, we're happy this week because Michael's home from college, and we have spring break together. And uh, now our children are older and more mature. Uh, We give them, there's more things that they do, right? And we let them be involved in the decisions in the family, uh, sometimes they take turns cooking dinner. They they do more of the things around the house. They have they have more freedom uh, to make choices and give more input to family decisions. They also have their own dreams, and I'm talking about good things that are on their heart, their own desires that they they want to go out and do. And actually, that makes Kathy and me happy as parents, right? And uh, actually, even today, two of them are away. Actually, they're both in England right now. And Caleb's in England studying, and actually Stephen and uh, Amy made it to England this morning on their way to Africa, to Malawi. And, uh, And they went to church together this morning, and they're together right now as we're together. Uh which uh, I, I just touches my heart. Like, I want them to be with me, but to, to have them going out and serving the Lord in different places in the world actually just really touches my heart. I don't know if, if Tom and Barb and Kathy feel the same way. Um, it's, it's just happy to see them develop in the character, the gifts, the interests, the abilities that we've tried to foster in them. And now it's a two-edged sword. It's a two-way street. Uh, The other hand is when you delegate that responsibility, um, it's somewhat risky, like I found out with the chapel. Um, Sometimes big messes can happen. Sometimes heartbreaking losses can happen. Uh, The question is, is it worth the risk? You know, as a you know, if you're a parent, is it worth the risk for you to delegate to your children to give them that freedom? Because they might not use it right. And that's the question for God. Was it worth the risk for God to delegate that kind of authority here on the earth? Some some people would say, <laughs> No, it's too big of a mess. Look at the mess we're in. We're gonna look and see that the earth has been in a lot of big messes over history. But is it worth the risk? And God says, absolutely. Uh, For us, what a blessing to be able to work as a team with your children. And God feels the same way about his creation. Uh, Now, we all know that when God created Adam and Eve, he delegated authority to them over the earth. In chapter 1 of Genesis Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, I'll point something out. He says, Let us. Now, people say, Well, that's the royal we, or that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. But I would say that another possibility is that he's talking to angels. And we'll study more about that too. And there were other beings he'd already created that were with him before he created Adam. And he said, hey, let's make man after our image, after our likeness. And, uh, but then he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, I like that one, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everybody like creepy things? 
but we have dominion over them. So remember that next time you find a spider you don't like. Actually, Kathy exerted her dominion over a brown recluse last night, very emphatically, right? So, <laughs> so, where was I? So, he gave us dominion. He said, be fruitful, multiply, spread out, and fill the earth, but you are ruling. So a lot of times we say God is sovereign. God's going to do what he wants on the earth. And actually, uh, he is sovereign. He's the king. But he, is, he has delegated. That doesn't mean he's not still the king. But it's not that, well, we're just here to survive and let God move us around like chess pieces. It's not that way at all. That he has given us authority. He's given us choices. He's also given us responsibility. We're not just here to have fun. We're not just here to survive. We are actually here uh, to do something important. And God has entrusted us with that. And, but, but it's not just like God has said, all right, you do this. I've got a job for you and you better do it right. No, he's our father. He, he brought us here to do this and gave us that authority because he, he actually loves being with us and loves working with us and wants to involve us in what he's doing. He loves that. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 9, kind of show who we are, who, who the angels are, and uh, the authority that God's given us again. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, Lord, the moon and the stars which you have set in place? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Like, we are so small compared to that. But I think also, uh, when the ancient Hebrews, when they looked up at the stars, it, it actually, to them, was at least symbolic of the angels, of the spiritual beings, and it's like, when I look at the stars and the vastness of creation, and I also think about God's spiritual creations, the angels, spiritual beings, and the, their power, I think, what, who am I and who are we humans? Uh, some people have referred to us as dirt bags because we're made out of the dust of the ground. Right? Who are we compared to them and the glory and honor but he says, you've made him, who, who is the man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. So yes, there are heavenly beings besides humans and besides God. And crowned him with glory and honor. So even though the, you know, anybody ever seen an angel? I haven't, but in the Bible, people fall on their faces flat when they see the glory of such a being. Uh, manifest, and he says, we are, have been crowned with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field. I like to remember that when I go out hunting, right? Got dominion over those critters. The birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So in describing that authority he's given to us and talking about other heavenly beings, at the beginning of that psalm and the end, it reminds us though, actually, but there is the Lord. He is the Lord. He's the majestic one. He's the ruler over us all. Now, if you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll find the word God, and there would be capital G referring to, the, to our God, and then lowercase g, God, and uh, then there's the, word, the name the Lord, which is that how we translate it into English. Some King James Bible maybe says the name Jehovah, Right? And other translations say the Lord. Sometimes it's in all caps. And that actually, that word is his name, Yahweh, 
that he he revealed to Moses and um, is used in the that's that's his name. But uh, when it actually when it says God capital G or God like false gods or other beings, uh, it uses the word Elohim. Sometimes it's shortened for God to El, and Elohim is. Uh, not only used to refer to God, the creator God, the most high God, but also to spiritual or angelic beings in general. And we know that the Yahweh, the God most high, created every other being that might be in the universe, right? Uh, let me give you, let's look at some examples of how the word is used. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim, or El, created the heavens and the earth. In Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, he says, I am Yahweh, your Elo, Eloha, Elohim. I think Elohim sometimes is the plural of Eloha. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other Elohim before me. Exodus 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the Elohim of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Elohim, Yahweh our Elohim, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Psalm 95.3, for Yahweh is a great Elohim, the great king above all Elohim. Actually, the word Elohim is also used in that story of when King Saul goes to see the, the witch of Endor, the, the medium, and asks her to call up the spirit of the dead, disembodied spirit of Samuel. And I'm not exactly sure how to explain what comes up, but when she describes it, she says, Saul says, what do you see? And she says, I see an Elohim. And so, uh, so the word Elohim, if we, if we say God, that's, God is not a name, God is a, a title, God is a, but, but actually the translation to God is, is a little deceptive because uh, maybe the word Elohim is better translated spiritual being or disembodied spirit. So, um, a kind, so there are different kinds of Elohim is what I'm saying. There's only one most high God. There's no, only one creator. The other Elohim did not, did not create the world. But that's how the word is used. So, um, none of those other creatures, none of other, those other spiritual beings are God in the sense that he is. But we find places in the Bible where God involves them, and it talks about a council or a staff to whom he gives responsibility and allows to participate in decisions. Now, uh, we know... So, so we know a lot about the history of humanity and the, the rebellions that took place and what God has done with humans. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us as great a glimpse into the angelic beings or the spiritual beings that God created. Uh, but we know that there have been rebellions and in the past week's sermons we've talked about some of those things. Um, of course... In Genesis 3, we find that there's a snake in the garden who tempts and convinces Adam and Eve to disobey God and take the fruit. And uh, we know, we figure out that this snake is not just a common animal in rebellion, but it's, it's a spiritual being, right? Uh, who has rebelled against his creator. And we see Adam and Eve rebel and fall, uh, cause humanity to fall and, uh, and be separated from God by sin. And 
Then in Genesis 6, and in past weeks, we've heard about this, that there were some sons of God who rebelled by taking human wives and producing offspring that were called the Nephilim, giants. In some ways, superhuman kind of uh, creatures or people. And uh, parallel to that, as you read through Genesis, you also, we also see an increase in wickedness in the earth. Uh, I'll read from Genesis 6, the first eight verses. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I've said this before, but that is, this is a, one of the saddest passages in the Bible. You know, that God looked at his, his children and saw that rebellion and their hearts and... It says, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things. We blotted out a creeping thing last night. And birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So that's, that's a really sad passage, and you think, did God not know what he was getting into when he created? No, that's not, that's not the case. And, and so when he says, I regret that I, I've made them, I'm sorry that I have made them, I'm grieved, and that he's going to send the flood, Why did God send a flood? Well, humanity had chosen to live life on their own terms, not his. In their own power, not depending on him. And they were further corrupted by these rebellious spiritual beings who were not helping. There were twin rebellions going on, and there was a connection between the two. They were linked somehow. And... Instead of extending his order, his peace, you know, that garden was there, but they were to extend that garden into all the chaos, the wilderness of creation. They were actually increasing the chaos, increasing pain and death in the world. And God feels regret and grief for their condition, for our condition, humanity's condition just like a parent of a rebellious child, like who has gone off and, uh, you know, we know out in the world, like how miserable situations can get and the brokenheartedness of parents. Maybe some of you have experienced a little of that. And um, that's how God was feeling, not like, oh, I made a mistake. What have I done? You know, but my heart is broken for my children. And so he sent the flood. Now in the flood, what, what is God doing? Um, I think the, the earth is allowed to return to chaos. I think Michael talked to us, to us about the words tohu and wabohu. And now the earth was... Uh, void and formless and waters covered the earth and it was chaos 
And God in creation, as he spoke on the days of creation, brought it into order. The second day and the third day, he brought the land out of the water and he, and he brought order into creation. So think about the flood. The flood describes that um, the fountains of the deep broke forth. Uh, so from the earth comes out chaos. And from the, the, the skies broke open and the waters above came down. And you, what you see is a reversal of the second and third days of creation. And what's God doing? He, man has chosen to further chaos and death and pain and disorder rather than embracing and using God's authority that he gave him to spread God's kingdom and God's order around the earth. And so God, he's just allowing man to have his choice. In a sense, he's withdrawing his protection. You know, it's God that holds all things together. If God removes his protecting hand, chaos will return. In fact, that's what man was choosing to do. And so God said, 120 years, here's your warning. Not going to put up with this forever. It grieves my heart too much. And some people think 120 years, he limits our lifespan. Uh, That might be part of it, but I think part of it was till the time of the flood. 120 years, and we're going to push the reset button. Because, and it's not that God created this thing, I'm going to think up this awful way to kill humanity. It's just like, you don't deserve my hand of protection right now. I'm finally, if you, you're going to, I'm going to let you have the consequences of what you've chosen. And it's not going to be pretty. And that's, that's what happened. But it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God provided an ark. And an ark we see in later in the Bible is a representative of Jesus. Jesus is like that ark that saved Noah and his family and the animals out of the chaos through the flood. And God does not, you know what? He didn't lift his hand forever. 40 days and 40 nights, and then all the time that it took for the flood to subside. But God brought it back. God brought, back, brought order and protection back. And when they got out of the ark, he made a covenant with them. And he said, okay, actually, we're going to start over here in a way. And I'm going to make my covenant with you. And then he gave him the same command that he gave Adam and Eve. Uh, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it for me. I'm trusting you again. We're going to try this again. A second chance. And he set the rainbow in the sky. And sometimes we think rainbow, we think a bow like we tie a pretty bow decoration, but uh, a a bow is is a weapon. (laughs) And it's... Uh, I've read some, heard some scholars say the, the bow, God set the rainbow in the sky. It's not just a pretty thing, but it's his weapon. It's a sign to man. I am laying, I am off the war path. I am laying down my weapon. I am not going to hit, I am never again going to hit the reset button until the final judgment. And uh, there will be a final judgment when everything is made right but even then even then I don't want you to be judged so I am making a way just like I sent the ark I will send Jesus the Christ to bring salvation and uh, and so that's God's heart now the, the 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 flood though did not solve humanity's problem and in Genesis 10 there appears a leader who's named Nimrod, who is described as the first on earth to be a mighty man. And he, uh, uh, some, I don't know how he got the name Nimrod or why his name today means like (laughs) an insult, you Nimrod, a stupid person. Uh, But uh, he was like a superhero. He built cities, and the chief city that he built is 
called Babel, uh, which is later known as Babylon. And this event occurs, and Rich read it for us in Genesis chapter 11, that the whole earth had one language, and they said, hey, we don't want to spread out over the earth, which is what God told them to do. We want to stay together. Let's build a tower, and we can be like God. And you think about it, that's the, the heart of the other rebellions, is I want to do things my way. I want to be God. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want. And we are going to make a name for ourselves. And, uh, and we will rule this world without God. Do you see the difference? God has called us to rule the world with him. But the perversion, the rebellion is, I'll rule the world, thank you, but I'll do it without you, God, and I won't follow your ways. And God's ways are good. God's ways aren't to cramp our style or to hurt us in any way. But God has wisdom, and he knows we can't, <laughs> we can't hold back the chaos without him. He's the one holding back the chaos. He proved that at the flood. And, and so he's like, you may not understand why I say to do something, but you need to do it. And over, even more than that, I love you. Don't rebel against me. I love you. I want to, you to cooperate with me in your life, in this world. And uh, so God again says, let us come down. Is he talking the royal we or is he talking to his divine counsel? But he's saying, let us come down and, uh, and see what they're doing here. And he says, if they, you know, if they work together like this, there's nothing they can't do. And he's like, it's not that I don't want them to accomplish their goals, but if their goals are wicked, I'm not going to let them destroy the earth again. I'm not going to let them bring the world into chaos. And so he, they confu he confused the languages and separated them into nations. No more unity. Unity is good when it's used for good. <laughs> when it's used for evil, we don't want unity. And, uh, and so he breaks them apart and as assigns them to nations. And uh, so, so man has great ability, especially when working with, with unity. So when we talk about pursuing unity among the congregations and unity in the body of Christ, it's a big deal. Because that's what God has in mind. That's We're going to find out is what Pentecost was trying to do, unite us back into one people. So Pentecost is actually reversing what just happened here in Genesis. God split up the nations. Now, he did, when he split them up, he did another thing. And it says um, he divided up the people into nations. He also stepped back from direct rule over them. And he delegated governance of the nations to 70 of his spiritual sons, or Elohim, angels, if you will. Uh, to spiritually govern each of these nations. You don't think God would do that? Remember when actually Israel was following him in the wilderness and he was with them, his presence, a cloud by day, a fire by night. But there was one, at least one of those times when they made him so mad with their rebellion that he said to Moses, I'm afraid they're going to die because I'm going to kill them. Not because he wanted to kill him, but because he's holiness. There's such a thing as death by holiness. Because God is a holy God. How many times in the Bible do you see somebody come into God's presence and die? Because sin cannot exist up against God's holiness. Like uh, it's, it's one of the amazing things about what Jesus did, which is the end, end part of my sermon here that we can come into his presence because he's made us holy. It's only by him that we can do that. And so God is saying, you know, I'm just going to go on, I'm going to send an angel to go with you to the promised land. That's exactly what he's doing here with the nations. Because I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want him to die. It's, it's mercy. 
And uh, Moses talked him out of it. God let Moses talk him out of it. But, uh, but um, God's heart here is for the next, and he's saying, I, I am not going to directly rule, except I am going to choose one. I'm actually going to raise up a new nation, and I will rule that one directly. That one would be called Israel, Jacob, the children of Abraham. I will rule that one, but he delegates governance, spiritual governance over the other nations to his staff, his uh, Elohim staff. And uh, there are verses that talk about that. Uh, first of all, in Genesis 10.25, it says uh, in the genealogy to Eber, that's uh, one of the descendants of Noah, there were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, Peleg means division, for in his na- days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. And so it's telling us, uh, what, do you, what does it mean the earth was divided? Well, Babel, the languages were confused. God divided into 70 nations. And why 70? Because there were, uh, well, in Genesis 30, 10 verse 32, Also in that genealogy, it ends by saying, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And that genealogy is called the table of nations, and there are 70 offspring of Noah, like grandchildren, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, there are 70 of them, uh, and those are the nations they were divided into. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses is talking about it, verses 7 to 9, and he tells the Israelites, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you, the people who remember. Okay? When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And there were 70 of them. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And so God raised up Israel, Jacob, as one nation that was, he was not going to send out of his presence. Now we know God is present and he fills the universe, right? But he, there's, a, there's a manifest presence of God that he wants to be. It was in the garden with Adam and Eve. It was with the Israelites in a way, in the, in the wilderness, with the cloud and the, and the uh, pillar of fire. And, and we can, you know, so... He's saying, I am actually going to directly, still directly rule as king of one nation, Israel. Why? Uh, Because, first of all, he wanted to preserve a line of humanity through which the Messiah would eventually come. Like, there's still that plan to redeem. And he needs to preserve a holy people, a line... Uh, where the truth, righteousness, godliness, the way, his ways will be preserved until that Messiah comes. And we know he is Jesus, right? But at that point, it hadn't happened yet. Another reason, to provide an example of a holy people set apart to directly have relationship with him, to be governed by him, to live in his presence, that somewhere in the world, there is a people that is governed by God, who is ruled by the Lord. What does that look like? We need that in the world, right? We are that now, because we are Israel now. Israel still serves a similar function. And we are part of Israel now, because we have been grafted in. And uh, thirdly, eventually, 
to retrieve and reunite all nations back together under his holy kingship. He, he did not send them away and say, I'm done with you forever. He's like, you know what? I don't want you to die by my holiness, so for your protection, I'm putting somebody else over you. I'm delegating, but I will bring you back. How would he bring, us, bring them back? How would he bring us back? Through Christ, through Jesus, and through Pentecost outpouring and filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they were left under the governance of his Elohim sons. And unfortunately, not all of those spiritual beings were loyal to God. You know, one way to describe faith is loyalty. It's actually a very good way to describe faith. Loyalty to God. And uh, evidently, some of these uh, of members of God's council uh, influenced the people to worship them instead of God. Evidently not all of them, but some of them, but all of the peoples of the nation. Well, not every person worshiped false gods. But So when we talk about false gods, there, there is some spiritual entity involved there. Right? An idol is nothing, Paul says, but he also says in Corinthians that, but uh, but we know that there are spirits and there are gods, right? And so uh, they also tolerated and promoted injustice and wickedness in their realms, in the nations they were responsible for. And uh, Psalm 82, in that one, God talks about this and describes his response to this rebellion, this rebellion of spiritual sons and daughters, creatures, in the Old Testament time it says this god has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment so you imagine like the courtroom the throne room of god and here is god and other spiritual beings he summoned them and he addresses them how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked give justice to the weak and the fatherless Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All of the foundations of the earth are shaken. He's saying like, you have failed at your task that I've given you. Look at the condition of the people you're governing. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Here's the judgment. Nevertheless, like men you shall die. How can you die like a man if you're just a man? You are a man. He's saying these spiritual beings will die like men and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Like this is prophetic. The nations will all be reunited under your direct kingship. And we know that happens through Jesus. So we can also see that there's a direct connection between the rule and activity of these spiritual beings and the activities and events of humanity in the nations that they govern. There's a spiritual aspect to things. There's a spiritual aspect to the war that's going on in Europe right now. It's not just the idea of one man or a group of people. There are spiritual things happening in the spiritual realm at the same time that, that kind of affect and motivate and work together with what humans are doing on earth. There, is a spiritual, there was a spiritual element to the injustice of slavery and racism in the history of our nation. That was a spiritual problem. That was a, there was a heavenly problem as well as an earthly problem. The humans don't get off the hook for their responsibility. But there's a spiritual aspect to it as well. You could go on and on and on. Uh, today in the nations of the West, in our nation, there's a spiritual element to the overturning of biblical marriage and family and gender roles in the nations today. There's a spiritual aspect to it. Are we just pawns? No, we have our own choices, but there's, there's, there's definitely spiritual influence going on. 
We get glimpses into this heavenly council activity in a few other places in Scripture. I'll share a couple of them with you. 1 Kings 22, 19-23. This is where uh, King Ahab, God, God wants to punish and actually kill King Ahab for his wickedness. And he sends a prophet named Micaiah to Ahab and King, uh, I think it's Hezekiah, uh, who is with him. Micaiah, the prophet, says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the, mo- the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said, this is a spiritual being, one said one thing, one, another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, Micaiah says. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So it's just like a God gives the prophet a kind of a glimpse into what's going on in the heavenlies. And God's divine counsel. And God is like, uh, I want to get rid of Ahab. It's time. How should we do it? Okay. God does that. Uh, another glimpse into it is from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel had prayed and repented for the Israelites while they were in captivity in Babylon. And he prayed, it was like three weeks. And finally, an angel comes and appears to Daniel and it describes him and it says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is of the days to come. What? What just happened? So Daniel prayed. God sent an answer right away with a messenger, Gabriel, and Gabriel couldn't, this angel couldn't get the message to Daniel because of the prince of Persia? It's the, the Elohim that God had put in charge of the nation of Persia. And there needed to be a battle before Daniel, uh, before Daniel could get the message. Like, we don't see very many glimpses into what's going on there like that, but that's an example. So, am I painting a bleak picture? (laughs) Don't fret, there is good news to come. In fact, the good news, the gospel, has already come. And in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus the Christ. Why? Or what purpose? Number one, to be human He's called the second Adam in Romans 5, the true man who fulfilled God's perfect will for humanity. We didn't, but he did. God himself became a true man. Romans 5, 18 and 19, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so he fulfilled the law. He did everything God expected us to do for us as a true man. Second, he came to be the Savior who suffered, died, and rose again to redeem humanity from our sinful rebellion. He came to save us. We we know that part well. He saved us from eternal death and hell and restore, restore us to sonship in his family. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by his wounds you have been healed. And so he saved us, he rescued us, he saved us from sin and death and set us free. Notice it's not just to get the free ticket to heaven, but actually uh, so that we might live for righteousness and take that role. God, God is still not wanting to give up his original idea to work with his children in righteousness and in love and in truth. Third reason, he came to make us holy temples fit for the Holy Spirit to dwell in, to restore God's Eden dwelling with humans. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And that is what some of you were, this whole list of sinful kinds of people. Paul writes, That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, that means made holy, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we are made clean to be temples of the Holy Spirit so that we won't die in the presence of God. Right? It's, an, it's a miracle that we don't die in the presence of God. It's a miracle that we can come to him and talk to him and he can talk to us. That's a miracle because of Jesus. Another reason, to complete, Jesus came to completely defeat and vanquish his enemies, those rebellious Elohim, and displace them from authority over the nations. This victory has already been accomplished. Amen? That's what the Bible says. He already won the victory. However, in practicality, it needs to be enforced by us. Because the enemy is a liar, a cheater. He will keep or take whatever is not his as long as he's allowed to. And so this victory has already been won by Jesus, but it is to be enforced. Just like God told Adam and Eve, go subdue the world and rule over it. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me now. I've taken it back. The, those authorities have been taken back and defeated. Now you go and make disciples of all nations. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's these spiritual beings, he made a public spectacle of them. That's a picture of like a Roman procession, victory procession with all the prisoners walking behind in chains. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The spiritual enemies are defeated. They are. They're under our feet. Not because of us, but because of God. So will we depend on God, or will we try to go alone without him? We won't be successful without him, but they have been defeated. And finally, to, Jesus died to return all nations of humanity to be united together under his own direct kingship. Ephesians 2 describes this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's a sad state. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, peace between Israel and the other nations, the Gentiles. He himself is our peace, who has made both of us, he's made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, Think about it in our world today. Are we to be agents of hostility? <laughs> no, we're to be agents of reconciliation. It can only happen on God's terms, but we are to be agents of reconciliation. So in these things, we're not called to go out there with our guns. <laughs> God, 
laid down his bow, remember? Uh, and uh, we, are, we have weapons, but they are spiritual weapons uh, to fight with. And uh, verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. We both needed it. For through him we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, not a bunch of different nations, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So there's this picture. We have all been brought together, the nations, a temple together built stone by stone a dwelling place for the Lord, for his presence. Do you see the picture? In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By whom? By the Spirit. And so Pentecost is extremely important. Pentecost is the Spirit, is where the Spirit is given who does the work. We can't do it without the Spirit. The, in the story of Pentecost, well, I'm just going to read it from Acts chapter 2, just the beginning. So think about what happened at Pentecost in light of what I've been talking about. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now think back to Babel. <laughs> they were divided so that they couldn't understand each other. And now the Holy Spirit comes and one of the signs and one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that I believe he gives that can give the ability to any believer for is to speak in languages that communicate uh, where we couldn't communicate naturally. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So there was a, it was a festival and people from all languages and nations were visiting Jerusalem. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. There was communication going on. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Like we're coming together and we're understanding each other. How is that happening? That hasn't happened since, since the Tower of Babel. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Hallelujah. So, as we meditate on this, let us realize the great love and the high calling for which we have been created and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In faith, let us humbly, God says you need to be humble to participate in this. And loyally, faith is loyalty to God. We see, we've seen examples of so many people and spiritual beings that were not loyal to God. You can't do it without God. Serve, love, and depend on Him. We love our independence, but you know what? And I'm going to do my taxes this week and I've got dependence and I like that when I do my taxes. And two of them, I still have two of them sitting right there. And, uh, but they become independent, but in God we don't become independent. We are always dependent on Him. We take responsibility, but we also remain dependent. 
He desires to work with us in love and faithfulness. And he deserves all worship and trust from us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for history. I thank you for your purposes. And that no matter what we did or no matter what any other enemies did, nothing can thwart your purpose. And none of this surprised you. And you have been good all the way through. And so, Lord, we know that you will be good in our lives. And right now, this morning, Lord, we want to bow down before you and acknowledge that you alone are God. We exalt your name. We lift up your name over anything that would call itself God or Lord rather than you, including ourselves. Lord, we repent this morning for where we have tried to be independent of you or where we have rebelled We've all rebelled. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you have redeemed us. You have rescued us. And so, Jesus, we fall at your feet and we say, you are our Lord. We want to follow you. You are our Savior. Build us together into the holy temple. Fill us with your spirit that we might function in all of the glory and blessing of what you have intended. And we thank you for this life and that we, we pray that we might battle, not people, but we would battle spirits uh, with your power, with your truth, with your authority that you have given us. And that we might take the gospel to all nations. And we look forward to the day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of you, God, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.